The following programme is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. Genesis chapter 6 records these words. And there were giants in the earth in those days and also afterwards. What is that talking about? Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hoagland, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. This is going to be a fantastic discussion only available on the Creation Today Show. If you're new to the Creation Today Show, welcome. We are a group of people from really all walks of life that are partnering together to create content and resources that answer people's questions about science and scripture. Our goal is to help turn people's stumbling blocks like you know, questions or doubts about God's word or of science into stepping stones where you get answers and you gain confidence in who God actually is. Now, our goal is for you to learn and then for you to share these truths with others as you go through life. Hey, shout out to Facebook and YouTube, our podcast and television audience as well. You guys, you guys are going to love today's conversation. I want to remind you, you are only one step away from partnering with what we do. Uh, we truly would be delighted to see you partner with Creation Today, not only to help produce these resources and to take the gospel around the world through our live events and through our social media, but also to access the full conversation and to interact with our guests that we get to have on the show because we have absolutely amazing guests. If you want to join, come on over to creationtoday.org slash partner and you can join us. Hey, to my Creation Today partners, thank you, thank you, thank you for working with us to take the truths of God's word and God's world and and put them together for people and help educate the world with what they need to know. Uh, this this little Bible shift, discipleship time for me is so special, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you. I love what we're doing to change the world one person at a time. Our guest today, speaking of amazing guests, our guest today is a crowd favorite. He is the content director for the Attractions Division of Answers in Genesis, including both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. He's authored, I don't even know how many books, over a dozen books, including fiction and nonfiction. He may be best known, probably now best known for his co-star role in two phenomenal films, Night at the Creation Museum and Night at the Ark Encounter. He stands somewhere around like, you know, six foot, like nine. I think he's like almost seven feet tall, which automatically, automatically makes him an expert on giants. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend and yours, right now, Mr. Soon-to-be Dr. Tim Chafee. Tim, welcome to the Creation Today Show, buddy. Hey, Eric, thanks for the great introduction. Uh, man, I feel important after that, and I feel taller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so is it actually 6'7"? I couldn't remember. No, no, no. Uh, in high school, for the record, the, the tallest I was ever measured was 6'8 and 3 quarters. That was in high school. Uh um, I've since lost my hair. I've gotten a little older, a lot older. I'm probably six eight at this point, but, um, six, but taller eight. than you. Yeah, yeah, definitely taller than me. Every time we're hanging out, like people watch the movie Night at the Creation Museum and they think I'm I'm like some little you know short guy, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm normal. He's the big one. Like I gotta, I gotta tell people what's really going I, do you on. Remember the, 
if you remember the old Shaquille O'Neal commercial trying to get into a car, he said it, it, he call, it called him a size expert. I'm a, I'm a size expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, no pun intended here, but I mean, this whole subject of giants, it's a big deal and it's a big subject, isn't it? Uh, it's a lot uh, more expansive than uh, most people would understand just from a cursory reading of the Bible. Uh, it's not in the sense of, is it important for our salvation? That kind of thing. It's not a big deal that way because people can have disagreements on this and uh, still love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve one another together. And uh, so it, I don't want people to think that we're saying you must get this right or else there's no salvation for you. That, that's not at all the case. And uh, it also, uh, you mentioned that I work uh, with Answers in Genesis. This topic is something that uh, in many areas of this topic, they don't take an official stand on as a ministry. So the things that some of the things I'm going to talk about today would uh, be my own view and does not necessarily represent theirs. I want to make sure we get that disclaimer out at the beginning. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not even sure if you represent my view. I don't even I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I this is interesting because there is so much out there. I'm going, OK, I, hopefully we can give, a, a, I guess, more. Would you just call it an educated perspective on what's out there and let people do more research? Yeah, I, I think that's really the best approach on on these topics is to let people understand what does the first and foremost, our goal is to figure out what does the Bible say? You know, if as Christians, if the Bible is our authority and it, it is, at least it should be for us, um, then our our primary goal when we're coming to any of these topics is what does scripture say? And if yeah. it's very clear on something, then we should go with that. If it's something that it barely touches on and we're, you know, Somebody could say, well, I could see how you could interpret this way or this way. Uh, then, you know, you can have a good, lively discussion about that. You can have disagreements. But uh, our goal needs to be, what does the Bible teach on this? And just stand there rather than um, looking into all sorts of, uh, I'm going to say, uh, strange ideas about, uh, you know, maybe how this might play into eschatology or uh, looking for all sorts of um legendary evidence if i can say it that way you know reports of these giant skeletons from all over the world and yet where's the evidence you know we don't need to go chasing after all those things does the bible teach something like this and uh that that's enough for me now if we were to find some of those other things and there's clear evidence of those things great but i don't need to make up evidence or or believe in secondhand and thirdhand reports to try to bolster my view Okay. Great, great way to put that and to, to preface this. Tim, I've got several different books that um, I've looked over, uh, including one that I want to talk about that is probably the best book I've ever seen on the subject. But uh, recently, Graham Hancock's series, Ancient Apocalypse, has come out on Netflix, and a lot of people have binged that entire series. Uh, his book, Fingerprints of the Gods, was sent to me years ago. And as I've looked through that and, and looked through his work, he's coming from a secular perspective. Uh, I was just reading on his on his uh, his chapter about uh, Peru and several chapters in here actually on on giants, and he goes he goes into the cultures that have a a, a story a legend of a flood that destroyed the world. So he's he's bringing up these subjects really from a secular perspective and going. It seems like. There was a big giant flood around the world. It seems like there were there was a giants at one time that lived here. See, so between that and then what Don Landis, my friend at Jacksonville Bible College, has put together with his books, uh, uh, "The Genius of Ancient Man" and "The Secrets of Ancient Man," 
I was like, man, he's done a, a great job of going, what do we actually know about this subject? Uh, there was a time when something was different. We have, we have certainly lost some civilization. And then probably the best book specifically on this subject that I've discovered, I don't know if you've heard of this one, it's called Fallen. Uh, have you ever seen that one, Tim? Oh, is it? Your fingers are covering up the author. Who wrote that? Hey, hey. Well, Oh, there we Tim go. Tim Shapey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're the one who wrote this. My favorite book on the subject. <laughs> no, this. Yeah, I this may, is I may be a little amazing, biased. <laughs> this is no, uh, no bias here whatsoever. This is by far the best resource that goes through those four verses. I mean, you have you have this many pages. In essence, about four verses in Genesis chapter six, one through four. I mean, it covers more than that, but you're really covering that, and you go through all the different views, the pros, the cons, the 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 objections, the, and it's in a layman's terms, which means I was able to understand it, and it, you really did a great job in this book. This is a uh, a, a I, I think I even have. I think I've even put three pictures in there for you, Eric, so you can at least understand <laughs> some of the pages. <laughs> it's right up my alley, baby. Right up my alley. No, this. Truly was an amazing. It is an amazing resource. I remember you got it done a couple couple years ago. Uh, if you, by the way, if you want to check out Tim's book, it is nephilimbook.com, nephilimbook.com, and you can access this book. Um, uh, anyway, this is what we're getting into. These are some of the resources that I've looked at, along with videos on on YouTube and stuff. Take us into this subject. Tell us what we need to know about giants, about nephilim, about uh, about this kind of launch in and start teaching us here. Yeah, so my goal in writing the book, uh, it, it was really based on when I did my THM thesis and finished that back in 2011 was on those four verses that, and talking about the sons of God and the Nephilim. I had never really found anything scholarly um, beyond just a couple of journal articles here and there uh, published on the topic. And I kept seeing a lot of popular level stuff, especially as social media was becoming more and more popular, YouTube videos, that sort of thing. And I thought there's a lot of misinformation, even from people that I would largely agree with. And uh, this it's important to get this right. And so I, I set out to do uh, like the most comprehensive Bible study that anybody could find on those four verses. Now, hopefully somebody will build on that and, and take it even further. Um, but yeah, 474 pages is, is quite a bit. <laughs> who's who's counting, right? <laughs> 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 but um, so those four verses, it, it is... Some people say it's the beginning of the flood account or the flood narrative in scripture. Uh, a lot of Hebrew experts say that it's actually distinct from the flood account. Those four verses are like a, one one scholar called it like an er erratic boulder. It just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in between Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, 5. Uh, and it's as if, you know, the, the author just stuck it there and it was supposed to stand out and say, you know, something distinct. Uh, so it talks about the sons of God who um, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from whomever they chose. God said, my spirit will not strive, this is verse three, God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And then it goes into the verse that you mentioned at the beginning, that there were, the, the Nephilim were on the earth, or the King James says giants were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, uh, when a lot of our translations say when, uh, if you look at our Hebrew grammars and everything, that word in Hebrew used in that construct, uh, the word asher, should be whenever. So it's more precise. So uh, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also after whenever the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old men of renown. So the text actually tells us the Nephilim were the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. So the question then becomes, 
what does that word Nephilim mean? Um, who were the sons of God? Who were these daughters of men? And that's what the book sets out to explore. The first uh, 16 chapters are all about the identity of the sons of God. And uh, goes through the three primary views throughout church history and uh, shows the arguments used for those positions and then the objections to those positions. Um, and then the last, uh, I think there's about 13, 14 chapters just on the identity of the Nephilim. And then there's several um, chapters and appendices toward the end talking about, you know, here's some arguments we shouldn't be using like these, you know, some of the more sensationalistic claims. We don't, we don't need that. Uh, let's just look at what scripture says. Uh, just if you guys get the book, just so you guys know, just chapter five, six, and seven, where Tim discusses the divine council in Psalm chapter 82, uh, it is worth the entire book, let alone what you're going to get on, on these things. So uh, again, highly, highly, highly recommend if you're interested in the subject, this is the most well-rounded, most even-handed, I'll put it that way, look at the, at the different views and at what's really going on from scripture. Uh, Tim, yeah, I know we don't I, have... Well, I was going to say, I, I clearly say, I have. Know, a, I know a, we don't have time to go into the whole thing. Like today, we can't cover it all, but I'm curious how far we can get in our time together on social media and then with our with our partners. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, you called it even-handed. I, I clearly have a perspective. I have a bias on it, but um, my own view. I actually included five entire chapters of objections to that view to show whether they hold up or not. I, I didn't hide from any of those. In fact, I probably list more objections than most people have ever heard of. And so you're going to get a very well-rounded education on it. And, um, and so I, I think that I did my homework on it. Um, we do have, by the way, if, if somebody would like to get the book, if you, if you order this book, uh, we do have a talk that you've done uh, that is a couple, it, it's, it goes into detail on this and, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not. So guys, I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to do this, okay? Uh, hey, we'll give this talk to you for free if you order Tim's book, Fallen. It's a great talk that'll go further than we can go in this discussion uh, on the sons of God, the Nephilim, uh, the, the the things like that. So, okay. Um, are you going to tell us, as you get into here, are you going to tell us which view you actually hold to? Can people know that right up front? Can we give that sure. away? Yeah, I mean, well, the three primary views when it comes to the sons of God, because that's really the 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 main debate is who are the what's the identity of the sons of God. Um, one, the the very first view in church history that we know of, the view of the ancient Jewish writers up until the end of the first century A.D. is that the the sons of God, the, the Hebrew term is bnei ha Elohim, uh, that they were angelic beings who rebelled, so fallen angels, so to speak, um, yeah. and. They were the ones who married women, the offspring were giants, and uh, that, that's what the word Nephilim means. Is It just means giants. It's the uh, plural of an Aramaic noun, Nephil, and it, it it doesn't mean fallen ones. A lot of people will say that you won't find lexicons that teach that, you won't find academic commentaries that teach it, but it's very, very common online to hear people say it means fallen ones. And I even thought that's what it meant when I started my thesis work. It just, it doesn't. Um, it means, it really just means giants. But um, so the first view is that they were these angelic beings that rebelled. The next view to, sh to show up on the scene actually came from Jewish writers at the close of the first century and into the second century um, at a time when they were sort of redefining their faith because the temple had been destroyed and those sorts of things. And there were several different ch changes that were taking place at that time. And at that point, they they threatened with excommunication anybody who would hold to the fallen angel view. And they said, no, no, these are the sons of oh. God are 
judges or royals who were taking women into, the, into their harems. And uh, that's, so they took wives of whoever, whoever they chose. So that sounds bad in English, right? They took a wife, whoever you chose. Yeah. But it's just the basic Hebrew idiom for being married. I mean, Abraham, Abram took Sarah. Later after Sarah died, Abram took Keturah. Uh, Isaac took Rebecca as wife. And um, she was a willing bride. Isaac wasn't even there when she <laughs> said, yeah, I'll go. And so, so yeah, so it's not a, it's not necessarily saying they forced them into this. this the women were willful participants in it as well. Um, and so there's no indication that 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 the big sin there was polygamy and therefore God's going to destroy the earth with a flood. Uh, the third view came along in the middle of the um, third century was the first time it was promoted, but it wasn't really until Augustine promoted it. And that was the view that uh, dominated church history up until about 1900 from the time of Augustine, right around 400 till 1900. And that was that the the sons of God were descendants, male descendants in the line of Seth. So if, if you look at Genesis chapter five, you have uh, Genesis four has the line of Cain after Cain kills Abel. Then the last half of that tells you about Cain's descendants. And then Genesis chapter five takes you from um, Adam to Seth all the way down to Noah. And they'll say the sons of God are that that godly line from Adam to Noah. And so the, the men in that line were marrying ungodly women from the line of Cain is how that position uh, would define it. And so that was a uh, the most popular view at through those times. Um, it's still popular today, but I think the fallen angel view has probably overtaken it once again. Um, but there are major problems with that perspective. It's it's easier in some ways um, because this, the other one, the fallen angel view, is very um, disturbing. It's <laughs> We don't want that to be true, uh, but just <laughs> not liking something doesn't make it untrue. I don't like murder and rape and abortion and those things but they happen just denying that they happen doesn't make them go away and uh, we know that there are evil spiritual forces as well the bible is very clear on that ephesians 6 tells us that um, so if the bible is clearly stating something then let's go with that and so when we're studying this issue we have to look at what does b'nai ha elohim mean that hebrew phrase well it's used three times in the book of job and each time it refers to angelic beings it's in job 1 6 job 2 1 and job 38 7 and in 38 7 god is talking about the, it's when the the sons of god shouted for joy and morning starts saying together i might have mixed that order up but um it's before created before god created the earth the you know laid the foundation of the earth it's before people were around so it's not talking about people it's angelic beings and then the same phrasing is used in genesis or i'm sorry job one and two uh, there's one other place deuteronomy 32 8 where it's used and it again it, it in these contexts it clearly refers to these angelic beings and uh, so why would it mean something different in genesis 6 uh, there are nearly identical phrases there's a part of daniel like half of daniel is written in aramaic uh, the middle some of the middle chapters so daniel chapter 3 with the fiery furnace um in daniel 325 nebuchadnezzar comes down and he says didn't we throw three men into the fire right how come i see a fourth one and the fourth one is like a the the word there son is bar elohim yeah a, a, a oh, son sad. of the gods or a son of god depending on your translation it's it's bar elohim it's the aramaic equivalent of b'nai elohim a same thing a son of the sons of god basically or son of the gods and um then in three verses later he says for their god sent his angel to them so that's how he identifies that other being um and you have similar words in the psalms as well uh where the the, the bene elim are also these powerful spiritual beings and 
Uh, so the, the Bible's pretty consistent on this. Uh, when you look at the Hebrew, these are angelic beings. Uh, what some people will try to do is say, well, but in the New Testament, we're called sons of God, you know, and sons and daughters of God. Well, yes, by adoption, and, and there's something else going on there. One, you're comparing Hebrew and Greek, but you're, and then translated into English. But not only that, most of the time, in, in fact, in nearly every single case, it speaks to that as a future reality for us. It's it's a present reality in the sense that positionally, those who are saved are going to be sons of God. But we're Romans eight talks about how we're longing for that uh, the adoption. We're we're waiting for that. So it has it's it's a it has been done transactionally, if if I can say it that way. But we have not actually become that as we will. It, what we will be has not yet been fully revealed. So. Is it safe to say this is the only consistent view? I mean, because to take that phrase in Genesis 6, that's the only place you would have to change it in order to not get angelic beings or fallen angels. Yeah, it's safe to say. I mean, even within the context of Genesis 6 itself, if you look at what the, the uh, I'll call it the Sethite view, that's what a lot of people call it. Uh, it says, when men men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. That's verse one. Who is that? Well, it's men in general, right? I mean, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Then the very next verse said that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And suddenly they're like, oh, not all men in general, just the daughters of the line of Seth, the men in the line oh, of Seth. So they automatically change it. They assume that the line of Seth was a godly line. The Bible never says everybody in this line is godly. Noah was. Maybe we can assume his father Lamech was because he was he longed for rest from the you know the, the curse on the ground. That's what he said when Noah was born. Uh, we don't know about Methuselah. Enoch was he walked with God, um, but other than that, we don't know if that line was godly. So that's an assumption. We don't know that everybody in Cain's line was ungodly. What we do know is that by the time of the flood, only Noah. Yeah, the rest were ungodly. Even the people in his the same line were ungodly. So God said, I've seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. So why should we assume that everybody that descended from Seth was godly? And if they were, why did they keep marrying these ungodly women? Um, yeah, it happens occasionally, but why consistently? And why would that result in giants? And why would you judge the earth for that? And how did it happen again after the flood, if all the line of Cain is wiped out in the flood? Um, so you have to go from like a general use of man to a, to a specific use, to a general use back in verse three again, and then to a specific use in, in verse four, and then back to a general use in verse five. So it's just, you're kind of making up your hermeneutic as it goes along. And really it's to avoid what the text really says. Now, I, I'm not trying to accuse everybody of having that motive, like, oh, I want to get around the text. It's, I understand people look at like Matthew 22, 30, where Jesus says that, you know, the angels in heaven do not marry. And they're like, see, angels can't do this. Why are you saying that? He said the angels in heaven don't do this. He didn't say anything about what the angels who rebelled, who left their proper boat, as as uh, Peter says, and as Jude talks about these angels who sinned, and it even puts it in Noah's day. Uh, so if you look at um, 2 Peter 2, 4, if you look at Jude 6 and 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, you have the same sort of teaching. It's, those verses are consistent with the fallen angel view. They're not consistent with the other perspectives. So how does this, and I, there's so much I want to cover here, but I want to know the significance of it. And, and how does this give us giants? Like, what's up with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know why that would result 
in giants. Um, I'm, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us why that would be the case. Um, you know, there's some people who and, would speculate that. This is referring to giants as in stature, right? I mean, David and yes. Goliath, the type of giants, like big people. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Goliath is from Gath. Um, it tells us in Joshua 11 that Joshua drove out the, the Anakim or the Anakites, some translation will say. These are the descendants of Anak who are of the Nephilim is what Numbers 13 tells us. Uh, so they are Nephilim. They're giants. Um it tells us in Deuteronomy 2 and 3, it describes different people groups like the Emim and the Zuzim or Zamzuzim. said they were people as great and tall as the Anakim. Uh, so it's describing these different people groups in the promised land when the Israelites are coming back into the land. And it's describing them as giants uh, physically. Uh, the Israelites say that they we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, so these are the, they are taller beings. And when Joshua drove them out, it says everywhere except for in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So they remained in those places. And then when David shows up on the scene, where is Goliath from? Oh, from that region. And David's mighty men fight against giants. Where are they from? Oh, the same region. Uh, so they were descendants of the Anakim. They were part of the Philistine nation, if you will. Uh, but they were descendants of, of those beings. Wow. And so Okay, so many questions come up here. Did God send the flood in order to destroy these people, or did these did these giants? Was this what the corruption was around the world, or was it a was this the sin that God was trying to get rid of? And why did it happen afterwards? The significance of this kind of lay lay that on us. Yeah, well, let first and foremost, the Bible tells us that every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. That that all of creation had gone astray that, that that there was the world was filled with violence because of man so you can't just blame the the nephilim the sons of god because all the people are complicit in it as well um so there are some people who who hold to my particular view who would say that when god says in in genesis 6 uh what is eight that no i have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation the word used there uh is the word that's used for like the the spotless lamb the lamb without blemish so Noah, you're the only one without blemish before me in this generation. Doesn't mean he's perfect. We know that Noah's a sinner like the rest of us. But so it's people people who hold that idea would say he was the like the only line, the only people left who were not corrupted by that. I I think that's probably going beyond what you can establish so, in the you text. Mean genetically corrupted, like yes. potential. Okay, and that's going yeah. a little too far. You think? I I don't know that you can prove that from the text. I don't think it's inconsistent okay. with the text, but I don't think that you can that you can conclude that that is exactly what's taking place. It, it's, I think it's within the realm of possibility, but I, it's not my own. I don't, I don't favor that, but I'm open to it. Um, and so one of the things that you see on this topic is if that was one of the major sins going on, yes, God wanted that wiped out uh, because that is a, that, that is something contrary to what he wants for this earth for sure. Um, but then it happens again. After the flood, that's what it tells us in Genesis 6, 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, whenever the sons of God came into the daughter of the men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old men of renown. Well, where do we see them again? In the promised land. And mm -hmm. it, it, people will say, oh, that's just the spies lying about it. No, the narrator gives us the name of three of them. Moses tells us that they were there and, and he tells us about them. So it's not just the spies giving a bad report. It doesn't say a false report, a bad report. It was a it's a, it can be a true report of like bad tidings. So they were trying to discourage the people saying, no, don't go because they're going to, they're going to destroy us. And it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And so they're, they're too much for us. Um, 
so they were they were cowards 10 of them not the other two joshua and caleb were like let's go yeah. <laughs> let's go get them <laughs> they'll be ours um so it, yeah there's it, a it lot does, though, it, descri it describes them as being cannibals they they eat men i mean it describes a like well, that's it, that's one way to interpret that's one way to interpret um it's a land that devours its inhabitants i think it's probably the right way to interpret that um i think that's is that, why that, the is that israelites were so scared no that's number that 13 too? no numbers 13 uh toward at that's the end it. 33 is where the word nephilim appears twice and i think right before that is where it says that they a land that devours its inhabitants okay because they've already said it's a good land they've already talked about how look at here's the fruit it's awesome and this is a good land but the you know the people there are are strong and then they then they made that claim and um yeah i have a whole chapter about that whether or not they were there was cannibalism going on there and i, I think that is the best way to understand it um it makes a lot more sense than the other views that I've read about. So I, I can see why the 10 were like, I don't know if we should do this. But uh, at the same time, oh. if God says go, you go, right? Oh. Yeah. And well, and think about it. They had just seen, uh, you know, they had just seen God lead them through the sea and yes. wipe out the Egyptian army. They just seen the plagues. They'd seen all of that. And suddenly it's like, oh, but these giants are going to stop us. Like, no, go. Wow. <laughs> go in faith. God's going to take care of it. He can handle it. And it even says that in Deuteronomy 2 and 3, it talks about these other giant groups that God drove out. So why could he not do it to them? Um, but here's the, the other thing that ties in with that Genesis 6 passage about, is that why God wanted them all wiped out? And I, I said, I think it's part of it. In Joshua and in Deuteronomy, when you look at, a lot of people struggle with this, like there's times where God tells them to kill everyone, men, women, children, animals, everything. But not every time. Uh, in fact, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that the, the in these cities and these nations that are nearby, the ones that are right in that land that you're going into, do that. But the ones that are far off, you can make an offer of peace and all that kind of thing. And what's interesting when you read through Joshua, it it seems like only the places, other than perhaps Jericho, only the places where it's described as having the Anakim, the, the Nephilim, the giants, that's where God said kill them all. But the other places, no. And so if that's accurate then you actually have like a theodicy there that you're you're explaining how why would god command them to do this and it it's not like there's just a bunch of innocent canaanites in the land i mean these are extremely wicked people and god uses nations to judge other nations israel israel would be judged by the babylonians and by the assyrians and um it's by the philistines and throughout the period of the judges the midianites and others whenever they turned their back on god god judged them with other nations so uh, that's just that's how he does things for any of you that have ever heard a skeptic or an atheist refer to how the old testament gods are wicked and a cruel god these are the passages that they bring up look he told them to kill men women children animals everything wipe them out and trying to present god as a bad god and the reality is a proper understanding of scripture helps you understand what is really going on. And I I, I don't know how you handle this, Tim. I'm kind of like, guys, it, it's going to be bad again. I mean, God's going to judge the world again. And I'm going to give you, in a similar way, the message that, that, that the people back then were getting. Hey, repent and trust in Christ before it's too late. Please repent and trust in Christ. Ah, you need to do that, guys. I want to let you keep listening to Tim, but uh, Facebook, YouTube, my podcast listeners and television show, 
I have to let you go. I am so sorry. Uh, man, I am, I'll look forward to next week. Uh, please check out uh, the book Fallen for more information on this. Uh, if you grab it, uh, nephilimbook.com, nephilimbook.com. If you grab it, I will give you uh, that free video of Tim going into depth on even more of this. We'll let you download that uh, for free if you, if you get that book uh, today. So please enjoy that, nephilimbook.com. Uh, to check out Tim's work on this. If you want to partner with us, come on over to creationtoday.org slash partner, and you can get access to the full conversation along with every conversation we've ever done. So all of our resources, you get access to all of that by just picking a number and partnering with us to help us reach the world. We want to change people and change the world one life at a time, and we're doing that through these resources. So we'd love to see you over on the Creation Today partner side if you can do that. God bless you guys. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.